that's one of the reasons Trump might win again is because so many people who don't like Trump view him as the only problem. Mm. They're like, well, if we just get rid of Trump, everything is going to be go back to normal and be perfect. And it's like Trump did not invent uh, mass incarceration. He did not invent for-profit health care. He did not invent, you know, so many things. You know, it's like we had all these problems before Trump. You know, I think now with him in office, things are, you know, in danger of getting much, much worse. But but all the problems that we already had, he he didn't start those. Hello and welcome to Indestructible. This is Peter Rue in Brooklyn. If you're a new listener, Indestructible is a regular podcast covering resistance in the Trump era from the Independent. We're an online and monthly print newspaper based in New York City. Check us out at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot org. We cover news on the block and around the world from the perspective of social movements and the people most impacted by the headlines, news you typically can't catch from corporate media outlets. And we rely on reader support, so if you like what you hear, I hope you go to the donate page at independent.org and give what you can. You can also become an indie patron at patreon.com. More on all that money stuff later. We're relaunching this podcast again in 2018, but if you haven't heard them already, I recommend going back and listening to some of our back episodes. There's an insightful interview with Naomi Klein in there, plus juicy audio of Richard Spencer getting punched in the face before my eyes on Inauguration Day, a career highlight. We've got a special treat for you this episode. Comedian Judah Friedlander popped by our offices recently. You might know him as the trucker hat-wearing writer from the sitcom 30 Rock, but he's actually been doing stand-up since 1989 and has a lot to say. In this interview with me and indie editor-in-chief John Tarleton, Judah waxes poetic on Taylor Swift, his Barbie doll, U.S. imperialism, and much, much more. We began by asking Judah about his new comedy special, America is the Greatest Country in the United States. Currently, it's on Netflix. Here's a clip. Where are you from? England. England, at one point in history, you used to own the whole world. What happened? <laughs> and I don't think you were an evil, imperialistic nation. I think you were simply a country that was in search of better-tasting cuisine. I, uh, I think one day your troops wandered over to India, took a lunch break, and were like, wow, this curry is just dandy. Let's take this recipe back to the queen. And then your general stepped in and said, no, this is too good. We should surround this nation with our troops and protect this chicken tikka masala recipe. Make sure it stays authentic. England, you used to own us. Yeah, you did. You used to own us. And then we defeated you. Took your language and perfected it. You got nothing left. Your last piece of dignity, David Beckham, he lives here. He named his son Brooklyn. It's over. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's see where to start. Do, 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 do. Yeah, spring. I like this, man. So, I, li- I like having lots of stuff to look at. Yeah, yeah it's kind I of like a nice it. visual background. And I like this. This shows that like work's being done. Yeah, that's uh, our mock-up, so every yeah. time we do a new print edition. When things are, are too neat, I don't trust it, you know. <laughs> no, when I see that. messy stuff, I mean, 
to me that says there's thinking involved you mm. know and and analyzing involved when it's like perfectly neat i'm like I don't know. Maybe they're not thinking enough. Well, we did. Or maybe I'm just bit. really. So maybe, we would have, we maybe I'm just really unorganized. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. But yeah, these I can relate to this. Even if I don't understand it, I can relate to it. Yeah. Very cool. No, thanks for having me here, man. Yeah. So tell me about your new uh, stand-up special. So yeah, I have. Uh, well, it's basically a movie. It's a it's a documentary performance film of a, of stand-up shows that I did. Um, I uh, it's 84 minutes. Uh, I made it. 100% on my own, uh, mm. no outside financiers or, or producers, and I did it in a very uh, low-budget kind of style way. Yeah, I noticed you even did the, the credits. Yeah, I, yeah. I hand-wrote the, the credits and title cards in it, and it's filmed in black and white, uh, very bare-bones, very raw, intentionally raw, you know. I wanted it to sort of look like, uh, you know, like a... A Jim Jarmusch film from mm. the from the from the early '80s or something, where it's just you know just very simple, you know, or some like uh, you know punk rock handheld video that you might find today on YouTube that's you know left over from the '70s, you know, mm. or uh, so. But it's basically it's called America is the greatest country in the United States, and you can't argue with that. First of all, and uh, <laughs> so it's it's basically you know. It's it's and there's there's no skits or anything. It's just stand up and it's uh, filmed over multiple nights, and uh, it's at, at, at small venues. I filmed it mostly at the Comedy Cellar here in New York. And uh, to me, stand up is um, technologically it's a very simple art form. You know. Yeah, it's, it's just a guy standing up there with a mic. Yeah, now. or a woman, or, or a woman. yeah, or just a human. You a know, human. generally. Uh, I don't know if other animals have done stand-up yet i don't know but as far as i know it's only humans but it's literally it's a person on a stage um and then there's people in the audience you know facing them and there's a microphone and there's some kind of a, a light and, and there's speakers and that's it so you know i've watched specials over the years and i i've never liked the way they were filmed for the most part mm. uh they're always very high tech there's crane shots all kinds of you know smoke machines and i'm like Stand-up is a simple, small art form. You know, it's kind of like jazz in that sense. And I'm like, I think it should be filmed in a very simple way. So I filmed sets on my own, um, just putting up little cameras in the room. And sometimes I'd hire someone to do little handheld camera stuff and just have them, you know. So I spent about a year doing that, filming my sets pretty much every night, just trying to figure out the angles that work best. So it just kind of feels like... Nothing special, but it just kind of feels like you're sitting there in the room. Like and you it must walk. be good practice too, huh? Yeah, well, it was. I, I, you know, I sort of learned by doing. I used to do filmmaking years ago when I was a kid, and even a little bit in my early twenties. But uh, so I just had to sort of figure it out. And then after about a year or so, I figured out what angles I liked, and and then uh, thematically, content-wise, you know, it's. Uh, it's a lot, lots of jokes. I'm not, I'm, I don't really do storytelling in this stuff. It, it's all satire mm. on American exceptionalism. Uh, I can't even say exceptional, ex, exceptionalism. Uh, see, that's how tough it is. You can't even say that word. Uh, it's yeah, a satire, said, yeah. satire on American exceptionalism, as well as, uh, you know, the uh, U.S. Uh, domestic policies and foreign policies regarding uh, our oppressions internally and externally. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, dealing with all the all the major issues of uh, you know government oppression and hypocrisies from uh, racism, sexism, imperialism, fascism, and and a lot of it is you know it came out 
it came out on Halloween 2017. Mm -hmm. And most of it was filmed in spring of 2017. Some of it was filmed in 2016. It and, all still seemed relevant. You didn't. You didn't well, it you is. You know, I. You know, I've been doing stand up since 1989, and when I first started, I used to do some political stuff, and then I kind of stopped because uh, it always felt like so much of it had an expiration date. Mm. You know, where it's like, oh, well, this will be dated in a couple of months. So, but I've always done comedy. I've always done like really dark, twisted stuff. Trying to find comedy and create comedy out of really heavy or serious areas where you wouldn't think they would exist. Mm -hmm. So about seven, and I've always been interested in human rights. And I used to do a lot of cartoons and comic strips when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I, I used to do, I remember I found one from when I was uh, 11. I was doing one about uh, Lekwalesa and uh, you know, the Polish uh, workers' rights leader. Oh, wow. And so now I was doing that when I was 11. So I was like, I'd forgotten about that. I found it. I was like, wow, I guess I've kind of always been interested in things. Uh, so I, I'm i sort of blanking on what the hell we were talking about. Well, now. I was going to, that brings up no. a point. I was wondering yeah. uh, where uh, where you found your politics. I mean, you know, I, you I just, I just remember as a little kid, you know, my dad reading the paper and him screaming at it, you know, or seeing stuff on TV and just screaming at it. So I think I was always raised to sort of, you know, don't just believe stuff because it's on the TV uh, or because you read something. To really be skeptical and, and critical and always think and analyze about things, you know, and, and look at things from different perspectives, not just your own. Uh, so anyways, for, so far as stand-up goes, about seven or eight years ago, I started doing shows in, uh, overseas, in, in mm. Europe, mm. Uh, mostly England, but other countries too. So initially, I was like, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to these countries. I'm going to learn a lot about these countries, which I did. But I really learned more about my own country. Mm. It's kind of like if you're in a bad relationship and, you know, wh wh whoever your partner is, they're not good to you uh, in whatever way. You can't see it because you're so wrapped up in them. And all your friends are like, why are you with that person? They're horrible to you. And you're like, no, they're great. You know, and then a few years go by. You're not in that relationship anymore, uh, and now you have the perspective and you can see it. That's sort of like what going to Europe was, where I'm like, okay, I'm not so wrapped up in the U.S. system. I'm outside it, and I can yeah. look at it from a distance and be able to analyze it a little better. Uh, I've even been that way with, you know, I've lived, I've lived way out in Queens for years, and a few years ago, I moved back to Manhattan for three years. I hadn't lived in Manhattan in over a decade. And even though I come to Manhattan every day to work and every night to do shows, I hadn't lived there in a while. Mm. And it was amazing just to, after having some distance from it, but also things have also changed more, just seeing the corporatization of Manhattan and the, the, the classism throughout Manhattan. Yeah, and you talk uh, about that in the special, the the bank within inside the CVS or. Oh no, that was in my uh, in my book actually. I did, oh, yeah. I did a book of cartoons. Oh no, no, I did do that yeah, in the Santa special too. Special yeah, that part. was initially a cartoon I did. Oh, okay. I did a book of cartoons uh, about three years ago now, uh, called "If the Raindrops United," mm -hmm. and a lot of it is is it's it's one panel, you know, single panel cartoons, and a lot of it is, a lot of it's just comedy, but a lot of it's some of them are just serious, and then some of them are a mixture of serious and and comedy, you know, satire of the corporatization of New York. Mm. So that initially was a cartoon. Oh, but you're right, I do have a joke about that yeah. in a stand-up special, too. I forgot about that. How do you but, think uh, the material would play overseas? Have you, have you it done plays it? great. Yeah? It plays yeah, great. I bet they love it. We, that's one thing I realized there. It's like, because 
if, if, if you live in Europe and you get cable, they get CNN, they get other news shows. They, you know, we're, uh, we're very powerful country when it comes to money and, uh, uh, war. We're military power. We're a powerful country. So okay. other countries pay attention to us. Yeah. And, uh, and despite all of our problems and everything, we got to remember, we're a very entertaining country. Mm. No matter how bad things are, it's pretty entertaining. So, but, so much I of, I feel. do electoral college. What's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I remember what I was, no, but that's a great question, you know, because in my act, I do a lot of Q&A with the audience. You know, I'll, I'll tell them that I'm, I'm going to be the next president. Do you have any questions about my presidential platform? Mm. And I remember, this was like seven years ago, I'm in London doing shows, and, and someone asks a question, he goes, why do poor people in your country not want health care? And I was like, I've never been asked that question in America. You know, I do shows every night. No one's ever asked me that. In England, I got asked that. You know, so, so they're they know our country as well or better than we do. Our our news is like their reality show. You know, some people here watch reality shows for that train train wreck mentality. Yeah, that's how they watch our news. That's our politics. You know, um, so it's interesting. But the but the the main thing that. Um, I satirize in it is, uh, I mean, I'm talking <laughs> seriously about it now, but in, in the comedy show, it's all comedy, is, uh, is, is American exceptionalism. And, and that being that, and I remember this from being a little kid, you know, you're, all, you're taught in school, and if you turn on the news, uh, and if you're listening to a Democrat politician or a Republican politician, they all say the same thing, that America is the greatest country in the United States, I mean, in, in the world. Yeah, you know, in that's the world, my job. Yeah. In, in the world. And they also say, not only that, they say America is the greatest country in the history of the world. And you hear that from the Democrats, the Republicans, the mainstream news. Yeah. And I always wonder, it's like, how come, you know, and then, and then they'll always say whenever someone's running for president that we're here to elect the leader of the free world. Now, I always wondered, like, how come no other country gets to vote for the leader of the free world? Then you're like, well, it must be because we're the greatest country. The other countries <laughs> don't deserve to vote for the leader of the free world. I mean, I'm joking, but you know, it's like so. Uh, so this, this, and and so when you're always taught that we're number one, and I think this is one of our, our one of the core parts of frustration and anger in our country that people have, and it lets so much corruption slide. Mm. When you're taught from, first of all, we're always taught, you know, in general, I think people are taught there's good. And there's bad, so the um, uh, so so people will view for the people who like Republicans, they'll view they're the good guys. The Democrats are the bad guys. If they vote Democrat, you'll view okay, they're the good guys. The Republicans are the bad guys. But if you do some more research, you realize that's really not we the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's it's much more complicated than that. It could be. All bad guys. It could be two bad guys. There could be some grays as well. So it's um, so that's so when when you view things as one side's good and one side's bad, and then you view that those are the only two sides. Like there's you're kind of taught there there aren't other sides, mm. you know. And then if you start reading more and talking to more people, you realize oh there's there's more sides than just two sides. Yeah, a lot of your yeah. comedy sort of parodies that simple-minded attitude. Yeah, yeah. and I, but I think that creates a lot of problems because if you're taught. Let's say you're taught this is the greatest country. We're number one. We're the best. But you're struggling through life. You can barely make rent, etc. 
well, then you must think, well, then there must be a glitch. Mm. There must be somebody we should blame for this, mm. you know. Yeah. So, uh, oh, so people get taught, oh, it's 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 those immigrants. That that's that's who's messing with the country. Otherwise, we'd be perfect. Or or it's these people. It's those people, mm-hmm. you know. So people are often guided incorrectly, intentionally, but incorrectly by bad people to hate people for no reason at all. Yeah, so, I think that's partly probably why we got Trump, right? I mean, this guy was obsessed I'm, with winning, right? Yeah, I wasn't. I think. I, I mean, I think I think Trump is, is terrible as a, as, a, as a president, but I, I think in, as a person, you know, but he I think he's an appropriate president for the country. Unfortunately, yeah. I think he is. Um, and, you know, the whole world champion persona that I do yeah, on I stage also satirizes that this, you know, this, you know, not just our country, many countries, this this narcissism, you know, this always gloating and bragging about yourself. And that and that's you know part of what it comments on. Um, that, I mean, there, there's more layers to it, but that's that's one of the themes. And so when you look at Trump, it, you know, I mean, that's you know, it's probably the the most extreme example of a narcissist. So it's it's not and of hate and all these things, and those are things that exist in our country. I think many people go through life trying to think that. Oh, there. We don't have these ugly sides, but but you do, you know. And if you don't acknowledge it, you you can't fix it. You can't make it better. So, um, is Trump? A, a, I've heard some. He must give you a lot of material, but at the same time, isn't it kind of a curse because he's? It's well, just it's too easy. Or yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, in my stand-up special, I really only have probably. Maybe four minutes. Where I'm going to turn to Eric Trump. Where, which I yeah, was right, 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 right. Where, yeah. where <laughs> I, I, uh, where I'm directly, you know, you know, doing jokes on and criticizing Trump. But you know, mo- most that means eighty minutes is not, you know. So just like, and again, I think one of the that's one of the reasons Trump might win again is because so many people who don't like Trump view him as the only problem. They're like, well, if we just get rid of Trump, everything's going to be go back to normal and be perfect. And it's like Trump did not invent uh, mass incarceration. He did not invent for-profit health care. He did not invent, you know, so many things. You know, it's like we had all these problems before Trump. You know, I think now with him in office, things are, you know, in danger of getting much, much worse. But but all the problems that we already had, he he didn't start those. A lot of people think Pence would be worse, too, huh? I mean, he could Pence be. is a little bit I more mean, smart, he, maybe. <laughs> it's a better way. Yeah, I mean, uh, he could be. You know, I, I, I just don't know. I, it's it's right. not something that's fun to think about. I don't know. Right. Um, I noticed, uh, shifting gears a little bit, a lot of your comedy sort of relies on talking to the audience. Uh, yeah. That seems pretty risky. I mean, do you ever get someone who says something just abhorrent or starts heckling you? Or yeah, how do you, how yeah do you once do in a while. But, you know, as a comic, you, you know, as someone... I've always done... My act has always been very joke heavy, you know, a lot of one-liners and then, you know, longer, more elaborate jokes and lots of crowd work. I've, mm-hmm. I've always done that. And before I did stand up when I was a kid, those were the kind of comics I liked the most. I loved the one-liners. I loved guys that would just go into the crowd and rip on everybody. Loved it. And mm-hmm. so I've always kind of done that. And, and working with, when you do a live show, you know, I don't, for me, uh, for the entertainment that I want to give out, I want to give people a show that, that exists, you know, some of the stuff will be stuff that is, that you can tell anybody, it's timeless material, but then some of it is just for that night with that audience, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
just making stuff up on the spot, you know. Yeah, and you so, you have to stay on your toes. I think. Well, yeah, that's what that's the fun part, though. You know, it's fun coming up with new stuff and and goofing with the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I loved your bit about Taylor Swift. Um, yeah, I'm trying I, to remember it because I, I haven't been doing any of that material. Yeah, well, that the was idea about that "Welcome to New York" is a sarcastic slogan. But right, Swift, right. I do a bit about how um, our slogan is "Welcome to New York." I'm sort of paraphrasing my own bit here, but you know, our slogan is "Welcome to New York," and how we're the only city whose slogan is sarcastic. Yeah, and uh, and then I talk about how Taylor Swift has a song called Welcome to New York. When that came out, the city actually, I think, made gave her yeah, some it, kind of an official, it, it was a like, 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 tourism ambassador or something like yeah. that. But she's, when she sings Welcome to New York, it's not done in a sarcastic way. It's done in a friendly, open-hearted, warm way. I think you and I think she it's... doesn't understand New York, is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, it's emblematic of uh, yeah. everything, how the city's changed. Yeah, yeah. and the corporatization yeah. of it, and the... You know, it's just bizarre. It's just so, so weird. So yeah, that's one thing I like about you guys, man. I mean, I mean, not just the politics, but I, I just love the, the, I mean, to me, if I walked in here uh-huh. 30 years ago, 20 years ago, uh-huh. I wouldn't think this was from the future. I would think, all right, this is the cutting edge stuff of today. Mm. And, it, and it still is. You know what I mean? It's like, this is, you know, this is print. This is real. You know, you can't, you know, yep. this is here to stay, you know. So it's just... Uh, and also, like, like when I was a kid, it's like, this is the kind of stuff, you know, I would hope would be in, in the big city and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, this, you know, rebellious stuff, you know, really thinking about stuff. And, uh, but today it just feels like, you know, so much of New York just feels like this, this giant, dull, slowly creeping corporate oppression, you know, just, just from every angle, you yeah. know, just from the chain stores everywhere to the the skyrocketing rents and costs of living and it's just just this this blandness just sort of croaching in on everyone you just feel it so i think it's more important than ever to to fight back you know and yeah and you said you know, so so i'm uh i'm appreciative of you guys you know you get uh you know real articles talking about real issues and uh in depth you know so it's great because yeah, it's you know, and the corporatization's everywhere. It's not just New York. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the news, and it's you know, even though there's tons of channels, there's there's only a few companies that, that own everything. So it's it's almost like you know, there's more access to information, but in some ways, it sometimes feels like it's harder to get more variety of information. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you really have to you have to seek it out. You can't just be passively looking for information. You have to. Mm-hmm really put effort into seeking it out well that's so. the good thing about print is you know no one has to discover us online we just put yeah. it right in people's hands or yeah you know. no I mean, that's how i first you know i think it was i don't know where it was i think that you know there was a stack of them at some 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 place i was at you know and i was like oh this is i'm like oh it's careful spelled. we might use uh, this for fun yeah you know because I'm, I'm, like, I'm like oh this is spelled wrong i i like this <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah it's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. We'll be right back with our interview with Judah Friedlander in a minute. But first, I want to take a moment to encourage you to chip in. We rely on your support to bring you interviews like this, as well as coverage of the ongoing crisis facing immigrants in this country, race and poverty in America, real women's equality, gentrification, and the burgeoning socialist movement. 
to cite just a few of the topics touched on in our last couple of print issues. We've got lots more lined up for you in upcoming podcasts, including a special on the history of punk rock and a conversation with humorist Ted Rawl, whose cartoons appear every month in the indie. Every dollar you give helps us produce original, on-the-ground, grassroots reporting and to continue our long-standing tradition of nurturing the next generation of radical journalists. We're constantly told in this country that we have a free press, but if all the major outlets are owned by a handful of corporations, how free is that? It's up to us to keep independent journalism alive. So visit independent.org slash donate. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D. E-N-T dot org slash donate to make a contribution today. Now, hey, why not? Or visit us at patreon.com slash independent. There's lots of goodies for folks who share the love. Okay, now back to our conversation with comedian Judah Friedlander. Uh, so are you back Taking in Queens or are you still in Manhattan? Or? Technically, I'm in Queens right now. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you get human traffic to uh, work every night? Is that the idea? What's that? I yeah no I uh, I used to I used to live way out in Queens in a non gentrified neighborhood mm. a mile from the last stop on the subway and I uh, now I'm a yeah I'm still about a about I'm about a half mile three quarters of a mile of the subway but I um, yeah I'm just trying to get a you know the commuting can be I used to have a car I used to have a car wow. so so for a night that was actually pretty good because. Parking's actually not that difficult at night, but um, the city's much harder to drive in than it used to be. There's much more traffic than there used to be. Uh, there's so much construction, and, you know, the subways, I think, run worse than they have ever have in the 30 years that I've been here. Yeah. Um, what are you going to do about those when you uh, run for president? Well, uh, my new plan is, you know, the infrastructure is crumbling, but we're not going to have more trains. I'm going to build longer buses. Longer buses. <laughs> I'm going to build buses that are 30 miles long. That is and that of... way, And that way, if it breaks down, you just walk them here 29 miles to your destination and there's no delays. It's a flawless plan. That is sort of their plan with opening up the, the carless subways. You've seen these? There'll just be one long subway tube. No, tell me about this. So what are they going to do with that? There'll be no doors between cars. So it'll all just be one long train. Oh, that's interesting. So you yeah. just walk on. Uh-huh. And no seats. Is that what they're going to do? Yeah, someone said, just why not get rid of the trains as well? Not... <laughs> so no seats. Yeah. Well, so that was well if they get rid of all the subway cars, and if you get rid of all the seats, and then you get rid of all the subway cars, you just have the tunnels. And then if we have the flooding from the next hurricane, just you just canoes. Just, yeah. just canoe through the subway tunnels. It'd almost be like a, a love canal ride or something. Yeah, you know. That's why I keep telling people, practice your swimming. <laughs> swimming lessons is the key to surviving the future I, I see you're getting towards the end of your notes that's okay yeah well you actually have a great job Griffin so I mean you kind of it's what I do it's what I do you know for for our readers who may have been fans of uh, 30 Rock oh, yeah. yeah um you know how, how does that I mean I mean looking back on that experience I guess what stands out to you and maybe what would you remember from that that maybe people wouldn't have Oh, that's a great question. Uh, well, first of all, my stand-up act is completely different than what I did on 30 Rock. Um, I mean, there's tons of jokes, it's comedy, but, you know, um, not all of my act, but a lot of my act, and certainly this stand-up special is all satire on, you know, 
human rights and, like I said, U.S. <clears throat> excuse me, U.S. domestic and, and foreign policy and how imperialistic it is, as well as oppressive in in many other ways. All basically stemming from, you know, white supremacy and corporate supremacy and everything umbrellaing, you know, falling under those two umbrellas, you know, um, you know, satirizing that. Um, but the, from Thirty Rock, what was great about Thirty Rock was it was a um, it was a very well-written show in two ways, in my opinion. Um, they had tons of jokes, and then they also had humor within the storylines. Like, the storylines were, were um, had humor to them. Mm. It wasn't just the jokes. Like, the stories were actually, oh, that's a funny story. Uh, and then so many jokes. And um, the writers there, very good, good at both those two things, the the storyline and the jokes and how they're intertwined and connected and then the organization of all of that. Mm. Their organization was very, very strong. And when you when you marry those things together and then you get it organized very well, it becomes very powerful. Mm. So uh, so that was impre- that, that's what impressed me the most from that show was was were those things and how you know the story the jokes and then that the organizing structure of them and how you know they would write it and then they would rewrite it and everything would just get tighter and tighter and tighter mm. then they'd film it then they edit it and then they make it even tighter and tighter and tighter mm. so it's just like so there's there's just no there's nothing extraneous. Yeah, it was interesting. The show got better over the years. I thought. Oh, okay, good. I, I actually, yeah, that that's good a lot, here. A lot of I, sitcoms don't do that. Yeah, well, I, I, I really didn't watch it that much. Really? I, yeah, I, you know, I, I watched some, but it, I, I actually have, if I stumble upon it now, I get, I get a kick out of it because it's like, it's like, you know, it seems like so long ago, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, it was cool, and it was cool to, uh, but th- those were the main things that that really just. Um, and even in stand-up, you try to do that. And when I was editing, because uh, this stand-up, even though this special's on Netflix, I made it without a deal from Netflix. I made it 100%, you know, independently on my own, mm. and then I went out and shopped it around. Mm. And uh, so, but when I was editing it, I, I thought about 30 Rock some and how, you know, they made everything so tight, you know. Mm. And while this stand-up special, there's not really a story, there is a theme. You know, mm. there's a strong theme throughout, and... Uh, so in editing it, it was important to, cause I have, I have some great jokes, but they weren't, some of them weren't thematically quite right for this. So I'm like, I'll save that for another project. Um, so I just wanted to be as strong as, as possible. And you're yeah. working on, uh, new material now, huh? Yeah. So I'm doing stand up. uh, right now I'm not going on tour that much. I'm mostly just in New York doing different shows. Uh, I'm usually doing about two to four shows a night, 15 minute sets and, working on new stuff and then i'm doing hour-long sets of new stuff probably about once every two weeks to three weeks mm-hmm. yeah so mostly the comedy cellar uh some of the stand and then uh there's a couple little rooms in brooklyn i do fairly often too right. yeah and you prefer that over acting i read yeah i mean i, I love acting I, I view acting as uh part of filmmaking really you know and i i, I love filmmaking it's a uh, it's a very different art than stand-up stand-up is immediate you know, it's when you make a movie, you know, you get the idea, then you write it down and then and then uh, you look, then you, you get a budget and and then you look for locations and then you look for actors and then you film it all. Then you edit it. So from the time you had the idea 
the time you screen to the audience, that could be six months. Mm. So you got to wait six months to find out if it's any good. Mm. You know, <laughs> where in stand-up, you find out within about one second. Yeah, if you it's know good. people laugh. At yeah. The joke. yeah. So, so, and I and I just like that immediacy of it. You mm. know, that's just uh, there's a, a simpleness to it and a, and a rawness to it, where you're just you're there with the audience. People are sitting two feet from you. You know, I just. I like that, and I like the interacting with the audience. But but I do love filmmaking stuff too. And yeah, I this year I will um, uh, do some more acting stuff. But uh, right now I'm just focusing on uh, working on new material. And I'm gonna this year I'm gonna go to you know tour around this country as as well as uh, do shows in some other countries uh, uh, I haven't been to yet. You know. And, uh, Have you ever done like a USO show? No, I, I haven't. I, no, I haven't. That's, uh, that'd be uh, interesting. That'd be yeah. interesting. Um, I would think it, some of it would go quite well, and some of it might be like, uh, I'm not sure if we're supposed to laugh at that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I've done, I don't think I've done a technical USO show, but I've done some shows for military before, mm. I believe. And then, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've done, you know, shows for all, all kinds of groups, you know. Uh, but, yeah, not too many. Not too many of those. And do you see this as like a, a, a special moment for for comedy? I mean, we have this, I mean, you know, uh, obnoxious blowhard president. Yeah. We have a, you know, many people are outraged or upset. And yeah. Where, you know, where does humor fit in? Well, this, I think uh, I think in times, uh, um, you know, I think in many ways the country right now is at war, and it and most people don't realize it, and it's on war in many different levels. Mm. You know, even you know. Even amongst uh, the right, the political right, there's many wars going on there. Mm. You know, the struggle for power from the from the um, you know the white supremacist extremists to the religious extremists to the to the more sort of mainstream Republicans. You know, the the corporate Republicans, and then anything to the left of that. You know, I mean, I don't view the Democrats as a as a left wing party. I, I view them as a basically a right wing party, but not. Uh, but you know anything to the left of the Republicans, I think that there's all kinds of little wars going on there too. Mm. And then when you look into gender, you look into race. I just it's like there's all these little wars going on. So I think there's a lot of uh, change going on right now. And uh, how can comedy speak to that? Well, I think in in these kind of times, in times where there's uh, you know more oppression than there even normally is, I think art is uh, extremely important. You know, and why? Well, I think it can make people, you know, especially with comedy. If you can talk about something so serious and get someone to laugh at it, they might actually, if it's something they weren't even thinking about, they might actually get interested in it, and and then maybe start to care about it because it, it in under that armor. You know, yeah. So that they, you know, because sometimes you know, because in my act, I don't, I don't do anything preachy or anything. I, I think it's. And, and that's okay if you do, but it's just not my style. Oh, yeah. But but for me, it's like, I, I'm not, I've never someone who likes to get yelled at. So it's like, I get other people not liking being yelled at, you know, or, and certainly nobody likes to be called dumb or, or, or anything like that. And, and I think most people are, are not dumb, actually. I, I think many people might have been misled or misguided, but they're, they're not dumb, you know. Yeah, and then you're I, turning I, American chauvinism yeah. on its head. Yeah, not, and then and then a lot of people are also. I think human beings in general are kind of hardwired to fear, mm. and to fear things that are different. So, it's uh, 
So with if I can get people to laugh at something, they might actually. Uh, so I, I don't like telling people what to think, but I like getting them to think. Mm. So if he if you can get something to laugh about something, and it's something they're either against or don't even think about, they might actually start looking at it from a different angle and be like, you know, so. Yeah. So that's uh, hopefully so, it could be helpful that way. You know, I, yeah. I don't know. You know, but uh, oh, I'm I'm kind of a pessimist, but I. I, I'm, I'm a fighter, so it's yeah. like, but uh, I think it's important to, you know, try to fight with love, not with hate, you know, yeah. so. And how um, does uh, activist Barbie fit into that? So I have a um, sort of an on and off going art project on Instagram called Activist Barbie. It's uh, Activist Barbie on Instagram. And so that was, I, there's kind of two main themes behind that. Um, and I haven't been doing as much recently, but it's... Uh, you know, so it's and going to Barbie holding signs. Yeah, so it's a little account. Barbie doll, and I, I take her to, you know, Black Lives Matter protests, uh, you know, anti-nuclear war North Korea protests, and it's it's kind of a way. I find the mainstream media in general hates protests. They usually never cover it. Yeah. And if they do cover it, it's usually because some violence broke out. Uh, the the exception is the women's march, um, and that's kind of. But even on Saturday, people were complaining they didn't get enough coverage. Yeah, I was, and it still didn't really yeah. get that much. Yeah. But that that's sort of, you know, the people who protest is unfortunately, it's a very small minority of the population that protests, you know. And news, I think they don't, I don't think they want, whoever owns the news, I don't think they want people protesting. So they don't really cover it that much. Uh, so one thing is to, with the activist Barbie, use a little humor and get people to, take her to the protests and get people to see like, okay, well, this is, this looks different than what I saw in the news. And maybe, maybe this would be good to go to. Cause yeah. I think that when people see it on the news, they get discouraged from going cause it's either portrayed as violent or it's not portrayed at all. So, and then the other angle of activist Barbie is that, um, it's about sticking up for people and fighting for people's rights who may not look exactly like you. Um, so, you know, for example, if, if only black people are fighting for uh, uh, the oppression of black people, uh, the chances of progress getting made is very small. Everyone needs to stick up for everyone. Yeah. You know, if only gay people are fighting for gay people's rights, what, 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 are we, what does that say about humanity? You know, yeah. you know it, it's like it, people should look at everyone as brothers and sisters. And whenever, if there's one particular group that's getting oppressed, everybody should be fighting for their rights. So that's also what activist Barbie is about. And but again, trying to do it with uh, with humor, you yeah. know, and, and satire. And the Very world cool. champ uh, motif you use with the hat. Yeah. Is that, is that another way of sort of poking fun at the American exceptionalism? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, it's initially the, the the world champion stuff started out as just making fun of the the show offs, the, the the braggers, you know, and. And then it's sort of, and this is years ago, and then it sort of started morphing into, you know, when, when uh, MySpace started coming around, Facebook, it started, it was more of a sort of a subversive comment on just uh, narcissism in society in general. Okay. And then, you know, you know I, I used to do all these jokes about all these ridiculous athletic achievements I had done as the world yeah, you champion. Yeah, you don't really practice karate. Yeah, yeah. No, no. But soccer and ping pong I'm good at. I'm good. Uh, I used to play ping pong. I, I, I will play you. I will play you. And uh, so it started becoming not as, not like a, um, 
not bragging, but just as like actually quite quite humble and modest, but just just actually like a real life superhero and that amazing. And then it started morphing into the world champion. If you break it down, world champion, the world champion is a champion of and for the world and for the rights oh, of all the humans and animals and plants and atmosphere and water that are that are in and on the world. Oh, so it's like a, you're flipping it on its head. It's like an environmental. Yeah, so it's kind of both. It's kind of, the world champion works on many levels. He's kind of a, he's someone who, who fights the, for the rights of the people on the planet. Yeah. Huh. Right. As well as being just a phenomenal athlete. <laughs> <laughs> and number one. Yeah. What did you see when you were in Europe? You said how that kind of gave you a different perspective. Uh-huh. You got outside the bubble. Like, what was it in particular that you saw or heard? Just so many, just so many little things. Like I, I remember see, uh, I went to, um, when I when I I love I love cities. I, okay. I I mean I love the country too, but yeah. I love cities and I love just uh, I don't do the touristy stuff. Uh-huh. When I go to a new city, I ride their subway. I go to the grocery yeah. store. I go to the pharmacy. I just like doing day to day stuff and just. Checking it out. Uh, that would be. I always like going to the bookstores and you know that kind of stuff. Definitely, um, and talking to people. So I remember um, one time uh, it was in London. I, I was taking a cab and I was talking to the cab driver, and the cab driver uh-huh. works five days a week mm-hmm. and eight hours a day, and I was stunned. <laughs> cab drivers in New York work twelve hours a day and at minimum six days a week. Right. Just to try to make a little bit of money not a lot yeah you know and these cab drivers in london are making a good living eight hours a day five days a week i was stunned i was like wow and uh so that just shows you it's like the way i mean they have their problems too and i think they're getting more you know greedy capitalistic uh but but you know and then on sundays almost all the stores are closed and then if you go to a pub you know, I, I didn't know the difference between a bar and a pub, but a pub, you go there, and you can sit there for an hour. No one will even come up to you from who works there and will tell you to order anything or. Anything. Oh, you don't even have to order anything. No, you can just fucking hang out, dude. It's just it's a hangout. It's a pub. Right. You know, you hang out, you drink, you have conversation, you just do whatever you want. And so so much less of this of the salesmanship, this buy 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 buy, less of a consumerist society, hmm. and. Uh, and then the the quality of life, you know, where it's like, really, you can drive a cab for just 40 hours a week and fucking make a living and have uh, a family and be able to support them? Shocking, yeah. y- you know. And have health care. Yeah, and have health care, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's less stress. When people have health care, there's less stress. People are less stressed out. You don't have to fucking worry about that shit, you know. And then I remember, there's another one. This is just simple, where it's just like, I was in Stockholm, and... There are two stories about Stockholm. So I was on the road for about two weeks in Europe. Uh-huh. I got to do laundry. Uh-huh. So, and I'm, I'm working with some local comics from Sweden. So I go, guys, I really got to do laundry. You have any, is there like a laundromat around here? Because I looked on Yelp. Yeah, no laundromats. I'm like, is there any, this is your fucking, uh, your biggest city. There's, you must wash your clothes. Where's, where's the, the laundromat, you know? So, and they go, uh, laundromat, huh? It's like, no, no, we don't have it. I'm like, the fuck do you guys not have a laundromat in this city? And then you go, oh, that's because every building where people live, they have laundry machines in the building, so mm. you don't have to go to a laundromat. Hmm. I'm like, what a thought that the the people who built the buildings had enough heart 
Forward. and care to actually like, oh, let's put a laundry machine in the building so the people who live there can actually, in their own building, wash mm -hmm. their clothes or and not have to go outside. Yeah, they, they, it might be law. Yeah, but it was just like, what you know, and then uh, and then in the subway there, there was some art on the on the walls, uh -huh. and uh, uh, the comic was telling me that there was some kind of a law how a certain percentage of the wall space had to be dedicated to art. It couldn't just be advertising. Oh, wow. And that was cool. How and then when the I was... How much did they dedicate to rats? I, I didn't see any rats there. But uh, first of all, I'm not anti-rat. I think I'm very impressed by rats. Rats eat garbage and survive. It's, it's fucking amazing. They're very powerful, very powerful creatures. Um, uh, and then another thing is in, in Sweden... We're, we were just walking around the streets, and there's a, we were outdoors, and there's some steps, you know, some cement steps and, and a railing. And uh, right next to the railing, you know, on the steps, but, you know, right near where the railing is, on the steps for about, uh, about four or five inches, it was completely smooth. There was no steps. It was just smooth. And I see that everywhere. I'm like, guys, what the, what, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, that's so, if you have your bicycle... You don't have to carry it up the steps. You can just roll it up and down. Oh, I'm like, wow. I'm like, that, that costs no extra money. Huh. And look how much better that makes life. Yeah. You know, so just smart, you know. Mm. So it was, uh, so just some cool, you know, little things like that, you know. But uh, the cab driver and the laundromat were, were big ones. I was like, oh, yeah, people looking out for each other. Yeah. Kind of makes the world a better place instead of everyone just fearing and hating everybody. So... Check out the independent guys. Well, you probably already do. That's why you're coming here. So yeah. keep well, check reading. Check it out more. Yeah, check it out more. Tell your friends. Keep reading. Why, why should people read the independent? I mean, you have to get points of view that aren't just being directly dictated to you from corporate-owned news sites. I mean, otherwise, what are you getting, really? You know. So you have to read it. Cool. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. Very cool. A lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. A lot you. of fun. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Indestructible, everybody. Be sure to watch America is the Greatest Country in the United States on Netflix. You'll laugh your ass off. A print version of this interview with Judah appears in the February Independent. Erin Sheridan recorded our conversation and helped out with sound editing. She also put together a couple of videos of our chat, which you can find at independent.org. Also, a special thanks to punk legends the Mekons. Their song 1848 Now is our theme. Until next time, this is Peter Rue in Brooklyn signing off.